0: Light of the world. You know, we, we understand light, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we already talked about this a little bit, but we, we get light. We get it physically within the light spectrum. We understand light in context of good and evil, uh, spiritually. We, under, we talk about light when, you know, an idea clicks in your mind and you say, oh, the light bulb went on, right? Anyone ever done that? I see that in cartoons. We see it morally. The moral versus the immoral, the just versus the unjust. And so our key passage, our anchor passage in this series has been in John chapter 1. Um, if you want to turn there, open your Bibles to that. We're actually going to be in John quite a bit. I have a number of passages today. Uh, most are in the New Testament, but the book of John will be a, a primary source for us this morning. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Why? Because it can't. It, has, it does not have the ability to overcome the light. The darkness has no power, no authority, no dominion, no place in the light. And that's so important for us. It's so critical, and I can't, I can't say this enough, that we have to move away from the kind of thinking where we feel like Satan is an equal opposite to, to God. Because if we think that way as believers, our theology is off and, and, our, our, and our faith will be misplaced. Jesus wins every time. There's, there's no scenario in our lives where Satan has the authority to get the upper hand if Jesus is a part of our lives. Now, that's the qualifier, we can give place to the enemy. We can give place to darkness in our lives. And scripture is full of references that says, walk away from the darkness and be children of life. Put off dark things and put on light. Be, Paul actually says, be clothed in light. Why? Because when you're clothed in light, it displaces the darkness. How many of us have, have gone through life wrestling and trying, to, and trying to get rid of the darkness? Any, well, I want to read. We, we've been there, right? I just want the darkness out. How can I just get rid of these dark things in my life? Well, you invite the light to come in. Yeah. And so rather than it being this resistance, it's more of an invitation. Jesus, shine your light in my life. And so as we've been going through this series, I've, I've made this statement that it's God's light to you and through you. Yeah. It's both to you and through you. I want to pause real quick for a technical point. I just want to make sure that we're recording And then we're good to go. We get to go, Sam? All right. All right. Sorry about that. I just popped in my head, and I was like, I'm not going to be able to get through the rest of the message without... (laughs) God's light to you, and God's light through you. So it's not just for you, but it is definitely for you. So, So far, we've talked about hope and love. The first week, talking about hope. Last week, talking about love. And today, as you might have guessed, the theme is... Joy. Today we're talking about joy. Let me ask you this question. How many of you like to be in control? By show of hands, all right? All right. Some, some of you, I, some of these questions sometimes I'm wondering like, am I asking the question wrong? I, I, I think there's, there's very few of us that would say, I like to be out of control. There's very few people that say, I just like to be out of control, Right? But, but then there are those people who need to be in control. Know what I'm talking about? Right? Yeah. Don't, no, don't elbow anyone, please. Um, there are those people who need to be in control. And, and um, honestly, I've been known to be one of those people from time to time. Um, this is especially true when it comes to, to driving, um, I, I really enjoy driving. I like driving. I, I, I think it's fun. Uh, I, I do. I, every time I get behind the wheel, I'm like, this is cool. Um, especially because I drive a big excursion, and it's just massive, and, uh, and, and I could like, I imagine, never mind, you know, like the, the little small cars. I'm like, well, I could just, no, I don't do that. <laughs> I like to be in control, and, and, and I, I'm not really happy when, if I'm driving in a car and someone else is Driving, it's not a, uh, it's not a comfortable place for me to be, and and it's not just that I'm a control freak. It's actually I blame it on a friend of mine from high school. Um, um, I had this friend in high school. Uh, we'll call him, we'll call him Steve, just to protect the innocent. Um, see, I in high school I had a pickup truck, a little Ford Ranger, um, and we could fit two people comfortably, three high school guys. It was. Yeah, it was not comfortable, it was not, and it was a stick shift. So the guy in the middle was constantly getting his leg whacked with the, the stick shift. So, so the problem was is if there was more than uh, you know, two, two guys that needed to go somewhere, we couldn't take my truck. And so my buddy Steve, we were going to go up to uh, Tacoma, Washington from Olympia, about 45-minute drive. And, and so my buddy Steve said, hey, I've got a sedan, I've got a four-door car, we can fit more people, I'll drive. Now, I was young, and and I was naive, and I thought, okay, no problem. Yeah, it's great. Plus, he can pay for the gas. Awesome. Um, Until we got onto the freeway. And I don't know where Steve learned to drive, um, but he didn't do it well. Let's just say that. I I feared for my life. See, because the way Steve drove was we, we would speed up and then slow down just for random reasons. And when I say speed up, we were accelerating like Mach 3. And I'm like, what's going on? And, and then when, when he started changing lanes, I'm like, dude, you don't, it's not like how fast you can change lanes. I mean, like if you were sitting next to the window and he turned, you know, shift, shifted the lane to the left or, or changed lane to the left, your head is smacking against the window because he's just jerking the wheel back and forth. And the whole time we're driving, I'm thinking, I'm going to die. And then I'm thinking this, we still have to come home. I blame Steve for my uh, driving control issues uh, because I, I just, I'm just like, you know what? At least, at least when I'm driving, I know I'm in control. I can make the safe decisions. I'm not trusting my life and putting my life in someone else's hands. Translates to other parts of our lives, though, doesn't it? There's places in our lives where we've had scary experiences, and so our our response is this. Because that was difficult or scary or hard, I'm going to try and control that in my life. No one's going to do that to me again. No situation's going to get the better of me in that place again. And so we try and take control of our lives. And the truth is this, there's parts of our lives we have no control over. There's a lot of parts of our lives we have absolutely no control over. And we try, we try and exert this pressure, we try and exert this control in parts of our lives. And at the end of the day, here's what happens. It robs us of our joy. It robs us of our joy. Let's look at scripture. I want to read uh, Luke chapter 2, again, it's the same passage that Leslie read. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen. It says this in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Everyone say terrified. God, but, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. <laughs> they were freaked out. They were terrified. Do not be afraid. Really, the, the, the time when you would say to someone, don't be afraid, is when they're afraid, Right? You can see it on someone's face. Maybe you walk around the corner and, um, and, and you're, you know, you're in your, your, your socks and so it's quiet and you walk into the kitchen and there's someone there and they very obviously didn't hear you come in and now you have a choice to make. <laughs> At least in our, our house we do. Um, <clears throat> do I somehow subtly let them know I'm here or the, the opposite? Um, But the goal is this, don't be terrified. I don't want to scare you. Hopefully, that's your goal. I I don't want you to be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's just me. The angels show up, and it's glorious, and there's splendor, and there's light, and and angelic beings, and and these shepherds out in the field are freaked out. And the angels say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Why? Because we have a message for you that will drive out all fear. In fact, what we're bringing is not fear. We want to bring joy and joy like you've never heard before. They go on to say, we have good news. Who likes good news? Anyone? Some of you guys, I'm like, go like that. Just move your arm. We're good. All right. Who likes good news? All right, good. That's better. The gospel, this is the gospel. The good news they're talking about is the gospel. Jesus is coming into the world to save people from their sin. We have good news. A Savior has been born to you. They go on to say in verse 11, and then they say this, it will cause great joy. Say great joy. Great joy joy for all the people. I like that because that means you and me. We're we're all the people. We have this good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This news brought unspeakable, overflowing, unending, never-ending, unquenchable joy to all the people. No one's left out. Let me say that again. No one is left out. In fact, the Bible says that it's God's desire that none should perish, but that all would have everlasting life. Last year I did a series, uh, during our series I would introduce a Christmas carol each week and give a little bit of the history of that Christmas carol. Some of you would remember that. We talked about the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, um, which we sang this morning. Um, Written by Isaac Watts and published in 1719, uh, he was a pastor, a writer, and and a, and a hymn writer, and wrote over 750 hymns, including "When I Survey the Wondrous Cross" and "Alas and Did My Saviour Bleed." Some powerful, powerful music. It was put to music in 1839, um, and uh, and was based on Handel's Messiah. The melody was based on Handel's Messiah. It's the second most popular Christmas, Christmas carol of all time. And, and, and does anyone remember why that's important? It's not a Christmas carol. It's not a Christmas carol. He, he, he didn't write it, uh, Isaac Watts didn't write it as a Christmas carol. He wrote it in anticipation of the advent of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, it works as a Christmas carol, Right? Because it's the same joy that we're talking about. When he penned those words, though, he was thinking about when Jesus comes again, because Jesus has already come in flesh. But it does work. But when you hear the words, now we're not going to read through the whole thing. I'm um, just at the first stand of the joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Verse 3, no more let sins and sorrows grow. Verse 4, he rules the world with truth and grace. And, And he's speaking here of the kingdom of God, this kingdom of light, right? That Jesus ushered in when he was born and he lived and he died and he rose again. And so we have the kingdom on earth, but we have it partially. Which is why Jesus said, pray that way. Your kingdom come. Because it's not fully here yet. It's not fully realized in our lives. But we can invite his kingdom. But one day, Jesus will come back. And that that second coming won't be in a manger. It says that he will return in Jerusalem. And the, the world will know instantly that he's back. That he's here. And so Isaac Watts wrote about that. Joy to the world. Why joy? Why joy? Why title it joy to the world? Why not? Well, Jesus has returned, right? It works. Jesus came back for his bride. No, joy to the world. Because it is the person of Jesus who ushers in joy through his work and through his life. What he did for us by coming as a baby, by living the life he did, modeling for us how to, how to serve God, hear from the Father, going to the cross, living selflessly, giving his life for us, dying and then rising again. He ushered in his kingdom and his joy. Joy takes on a whole new meaning. You see, in Scripture... Joy has a different connotation, because for us, we would look at joy and say, well, joy is just when I'm happy, and it's not. Happiness is happiness. Happiness is is activated and actuated by external things. I'm happy because of something external. Joy, though, in Scripture, is more a state of being than it is an emotion. Let me say that again. Joy in scripture is a state of being more than it is an emotion. In the Old Testament, joy is almost always, and I say almost because there are a few instances that are, are, are that, that, that it's translated a little bit different, but on almost every single circumstance of the word joy, joy, rejoice, uh, be glad is another way to translate it. It's used in relation to this, victory over the enemy. Victory over the enemy is, is the first part, and then this, the restoration of lost things. So through the Psalms... Through, through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, through the prophetic books, through, through the poetic books, uh, you know, through all of the historical books, when they talk about joy, it's, it's almost always used in relation to the enemy has been defeated and we've gotten back our stuff. Things have been restored to us that once were lost. And because of that, and because of the work that God does in that regard, I have joy. Because God has moved on my behalf, I have joy, or rather, I am joyful. It is a part of my being, it's a state of my being. We see this uh, in the case of the, the Egyptians, come, I mean, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, their deliverance from Egypt and into the promised land. And, and all through that story, there are these songs that are sung that are peppered with the word joy and rejoice. Because they were slaves and now they're free. Not by their own hand, but because God delivered them. Joy is tied directly to God acting on behalf of his people. By the way, that's all people that would include you. Listen to Psalm 126 then, verse 1 through 6. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed... Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping Carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And as they would bring in the harvest in the promised land, they would sing for joy because God had done this for them. They were harvesting crops that belonged to them and not to their slave masters. Look what God has done. When we turn to the New Testament, though, there's a little shift. It gets a little deeper. See, because it's still in relation to victory over our enemy, but the source of our joy becomes the person of Jesus. Joy in relation in the New Testament to the assurance of salvation that came by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The assurance of salvation, that is the source of our joy that Jesus has defeated the enemy once and for all, that he is a defeated foe, that Satan is a defeated foe, and that he came to bring life and light and healing and wholeness and salvation to the people he created, to his people. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-6 through six says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Listen to that. You are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There is this joy that is wrapped up, that is locked up in heaven for you, and God says, you can have it. Now, you ever get a Christmas present early? Anyone? There's been times, right, I was like, I know, I know what I'm getting for Christmas, right? And I'm like, oh, do I have to wait? Do I have to wait till Christmas? And I, I remember one year, my parents let me open the gift early because I was just dying. I was like, oh, come on. And they said, okay, okay, we'll give you the present early. Oh, man, and the elation and the excitement. Here's the thing. God has this joy sealed for you and when we're in his presence in heaven one day, there'll be this fullness of joy, right? Because it's just going to be everywhere. But in this world and in this life, as we live between kingdoms in this present age and the age to come, we're kind of in this time of overlap that we have joy. We have this joy of our salvation, but we also know there's opposition. Who knows there's opposition, right? There's opposition. There's, there's things that get in the way. Remember I talked about being in control, Those things that are in our lives that that hurt and are painful and we go, you know what, I'm going to lay hold of this and control this area of my life so that I don't hurt anymore. The problem is when we do that, we we even take it away from God being able to move in that place of our life. And his desire is to move on our behalf. He says that we need to greatly rejoice even in the midst of trials. And I'd say, no thanks, no thanks. No thanks. But why can we rejoice in trials? Why can we have joy in the midst of suffering? Because I just keep remembering, you know what? God's already won the battle. Jesus has already defeated sin and defeated the enemy, and we win. We win. You can laugh in the midst and in the face of trials and opposition. Why? Because we win. You can say this out loud Satan, we win. Your darkness, Jesus is light, he's in me, I win, right. done. Right. Wow. So often as believers, we believe the lie of the enemy saying, you know, God doesn't really care about you, and if, if you want to actually have success in this part of your life, you need to lay hold of this and control it. It's the same lie, by the way, that he told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's the same. He is not creative at all. It's the same stinking lie over and over and over and over and over again. He can't come up with any new material. <laughs> hey, does God really love you? Did God really say? It's, it's the only thing that he has. There's nothing in the back pocket. And we just get to say, you're a sucker. You're a liar. Because God loves me. And you're a defeated enemy. Get out of here. So the light of God's joy. God's joy to you. Remember, I said it's a state of being more than it is an emotion. So we have to make a shift in our thinking, and, and really more than our thinking in, in how we live. And you know how we think, that's the way we live. So we start with our thinking. See, so what are the things that can rob us of our joy? If we recognize this, it's not circumstantial, it's not external, it's not the circumstances. If joy is, is seated in my heart because of who Jesus is, then I have to look at what those things are that, that can rob me of my joy. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, James says this, consider it pure joy, yeah. not, not just joy. Right. Now we're talking pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We've talked about this passage quite a bit over the last few months. I, I would guess that everyone, I wouldn't even ask you to raise your hands because I'll just raise it for you. Just Okay? I know that you want to be in a place in your life where you're not lacking anything. I've never met anyone who's like, you know, I'd really like to lack in this part of my life. <laughs> no, you don't. I don't want to be lacking anything. So, so there's pure joy, not just joy again, pure joy. Why? Why pure joy in the face of trials and testing? Because in trials and testings, we have the victory. And so it's in the trials and the testing where I see the work of Jesus more clearly in my life. I see the power because I have to get to a place where I go, I can't control this. Jesus, I need your help. And he steps in and he does things only he can do. And your joy is pure joy because you're like, I didn't do that. Jesus did that for me. And that's awesome, church. Church. Amen. That's awesome, church, that Jesus wants to move on your behalf. In our journal reading this week, we read this that, that Jesus is proud to call you his brother and sister. I love that. He's proud. He's not like, come on, how many of you ever have seen someone, I know it's not you, but someone else who's like reluctant to claim a family member? Is that your brother? Oh no, I don't know who that is right? Jesus is proud. He's not like, oh no, I don't know them. I, oh. Yeah, they kind of are, right? He's proud to call you his brother and sister. He wants to move on your behalf. So, so here's the thing. The opposite of joy is not sadness or despair. I want to give you three words. They'll be up on the screen. The opposite of joy for us as believers is this. Doubt, uncertainty, and fear. That when I'm moving in a way in my life as a Christ follower where my life is filled with doubt, uncertainty, and fear, my joy is going to be gone. Because the only reasons I'm going to have doubt is because I doubt his salvation. He's saving work in my life. That's what, By the way, that's what the enemy wants to do. Did Jesus really die for you? You know what, I know, I know he's a good God, but you know that thing you just did, I'm not sure if Jesus' blood will cover that. And he brings doubt into the very thing that should be the bedrock of our lives. Remember the house on the rock? Uncertainty about my future, what lays ahead, how is this gonna go? And and we start wringing our hands. I don't know, Lord. I've got to start planning my future and, and setting my destiny. God helps those who help themselves, lie from the pit of hell, because you don't have the ability to help yourself. I'm sorry. You need all the help you can get. Look at your neighbor and say, you need all the help you can get. You help, <laughs> and fear, fear of the future, fear of not having enough, fear of having a diagnosis that's not Favorable. Fear of what's happening in our country, fear of what's happening around the world, fear of terror, fear, 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 fear. And God says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but a, power, a spirit of power and love and of sound mind. Why? Because Jesus is your rock. John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes only. Everyone say only. only. All right, we're going to do that again. I'm going to say, everyone say only, and then you're going to say only like you mean it. <laughs> everyone say only. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's his only purpose. And Jesus says this, I have come that you might have life and kind of an okay life. Just, this is good, right? No, life, life to the full, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. So, so, so with that in mind, let me make this statement. You see, Jesus doesn't bring joy to you. The baby in the manger was not the delivery mechanism for joy, right? The baby in the manger, the man on the cross, the man seated at the right hand of the Father is your joy. Right. That's right. He is your joy. He is the object of your joy. He is the source of your joy. He is your joy. What kind of joy? The joy of God's salvation the joy of God's salvation, with, which, which counteracts doubt every single day of the week. Why? Because the light overcomes the darkness. Doubt is not light, it's darkness. And so when I remember that God has saved me, that Jesus came willingly to save me, to save you, that he secured our salvation and he secured the victory, we have a reason To have joy. Why? Because victory, right, is tied to joy. Jesus secured the victory. We have the joy of God's word. The joy of God's word. We never need to walk in uncertainty about the future. Why? Because God is already there. Whatever it is tomorrow you're worried about, God's already there. And he's already working on your behalf. Now, notice I'm not saying, hey, your life's just going to be easy, right? Because James says, consider your pure joy when you face trials, right? But when you know that God is already there working on your behalf, I can walk into a trial and a circumstance and a difficulty with joy in my heart, knowing God's already there. He's a God of his word. And if you don't know his word, you're not going to know his joy. Let me say that again. If you don't know his word... You're not going to know his joy. And getting it here on Sunday is not enough. We need to be people who know and love and own and ingest and live and breathe the word of God. Because it is light. Remember, the word was with God and he came in and he was light. And then finally, the joy of God's promises. The joy of God's promises. You know that scripture is full of promises for you? Amazing promises. Life-changing promises. Promises where he says things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a good promise, right? Right? Can you imagine a a parent saying to their child, Hey, listen, we're going to go to Disneyland, and in about two hours in, I'm going to leave you. (laughs) Right? I'm going to leave you. That, that kid is going to never want... Disneyland now becomes the unhappiest place on earth, right? A parent would never do that. Hey, I'm going to plan on just leaving you. At least the, the hope would be a parent would never do that. Our heavenly Father will never leave us or forsake us. He says, I will provide for you. Jesus said this, don't worry. Don't have fear about tomorrow. Look at the birds. I take care of them, and I I love you more than I love them. They don't worry about provision or what they're going to eat or drink or wear. God says, I will care for you. So I have to walk in fear and and wondering, is God going to do this? Is God going to do that? Does God care about me? His promise is to care for us, provide for us, guide us, and direct us and so much more, I hope that you're being touched with the joy of the Lord right now. But remember, it's not just to you. It's through you. It's not just to you. It's through you. Let me ask you this question. If you have this kind of joy, wouldn't you want to share it? Wouldn't you want to share it? Wouldn't you want to tell someone about it? The shepherds did, Right? The first thing they did is they ran to the place where, where the angels said the baby would be, and, and guess what they found? It was just as they had said. The baby was there, right? And there were animals. By the way, there were, no, there were no wise men. They came later. They weren't at the manger, right? They weren't at the stable. They came later. But the shepherds were there, and they were just blown away, and they were praising God. And they went back, and as they're going back, they're telling other people about what they just saw. I just always think about the poor guy who had to stay back and watch the sheep, right? That guy. I think there was special blessing for him in heaven. You, you had to see it. It was amazing. He did get to see the angels, though, so that was good. They shared that joy with others. Why? Because when you have that kind of joy, you want to give it away. I, I would even venture to say you have to give it away. It's unnatural to not want to give it away. And I believe that one of the reasons that so many Christians don't share their faith is because they themselves have lost the joy of their salvation or have never had it in the first place. Because when you have that deep-seated joy in Jesus, you just want to give it away. And let me tell you, this isn't about the gift of evangelism. That's not what I'm talking about. Every one of us is called to share This joy. Jesus has an encounter with a woman at a well in John chapter four. And can we just say that this lady's life was pretty messed up? She did not have a good reputation in town. In fact, she had the worst reputation in town. And she comes to the well and Jesus is there. He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan, you know, he's God and she's a prostitute. And they start having a conversation, <gasps> right? Really? Yeah, they had a conversation. And Jesus starts talking to her about this, this water, this living water, this water that she can take a uh, drink of and never thirst again. And she's confused because she's like, well, this is just water. This is just, I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. And he says, no, no, there's this water. I, I'm the source of that water. She's like, please tell me more. And as he starts talking, he starts telling her. well, he kind of sets her up a little bit. Well, go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. He goes, well, what you said is true, right? You're living with a guy right now, and he's not your husband, but you've had other husbands in the past. Not a good reputation. And he starts ministering his joy right into her life. And what was her response? I need to go on a retreat up in the mountains for three weeks and just process this by myself come to terms with what God is doing in my life? No. She runs back into town. Reputation and everything and announces to the whole community come meet this guy who just told me everything I've ever done. And everyone's like, yeah, that's not a big surprise. (laughs) Oh, by the way, he's a Jew. Now that's a big surprise. Let's go check. And they follow and check it out. Within minutes of her finding Jesus and meeting Jesus, she leads other people to him. Why? Because she found joy. Because her life was messed up and dark and without hope. And this man, Jesus Christ, brings joy and salvation to her. And it changes her entire life. And it gives her a boldness that she would never have had before. Luke chapter 15 verse 3 through 7, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God is all about reaching the lost, about bringing his joy to people who need it. Are you? Are you? Is the joy of the Lord, the joy, the the, the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord, the assurance that comes from the joy of the Lord, the, 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 the comfort that comes from the joy of the Lord, does it cause you to want to just tell everyone? See, I don't think Christians need to be equipped with better methods of sharing their faith. I think we just really need to lay a hold of the joy of our salvation, and then it'll just try and stop it from coming out. But we have to realize that we are not defeated, that we're not on the losing side, that we're on the side of light, we're on the side of victory, and God has secured that victory. And because of that, you can walk in joy in every circumstance. And as you do, you receive that joy, it will flow, it will gush, it will ooze out of you. Everywhere you go. You know, there's little tear-off cards. And by the way, next Sunday, we're going to have invitation cards for our Christmas Eve service. It'll be on all the chairs. You can take those and share those with your friends. We do want to equip you. We do want to give you tools. My, My prayer is this, that we would, as a church, never have to take invitation cards. That you would be the invitation a piece of paper can't invite someone to church. A person can invite someone to church. And ultimately, you're not inviting them to church. You're inviting them to Jesus. And it should just flow out of us. Why? Because it's to you and it's through you. We want to rejoice as a church as we see people say yes to Jesus. We want to, we want to, we want to attune our voices to the heavenly host Who rejoice, just like the shepherd who comes and he finds that sheep and he says, Rejoice with me. This sheep was lost, and now he's found. Every single day of your life, every single day, I guarantee that every single day of your life, you are coming across people who are doubting, who are uncertain, who are fearful. And they need, they are dying for what you have. By the way, if they know you're a Christian, and I hope they do, but if, if they don't, if they know you're a Christian, they're probably watching your life. Asking this question, what makes you different? What is it about your faith? Why should I believe what you believe? You're dealing with the same garbage that I am. You're dealing with the same doubt, the same fear, the same uncertainty. What's the point of even believing in Jesus if that's what he does for you? And so we have to guard that. We have to fight for it. We have to press in. So as we close, I ask you this question. How evident is the joy of your salvation in two places, to yourself and to others? Let's stand together. Invite the worship team to come forward as I pray. bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I don't want to end this service without giving an opportunity. First of all, for those who maybe are here today who've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said yes to receiving salvation, the gift of salvation, the gift of of redemption, the gift of transformation, reconciliation, the gift of joy that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. If you've never said yes to him before, if you've never committed your life to him and invited him to be the Lord of your life, I will miss this opportunity to let you say yes to the Lord with every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Would you slip your hand up in the air? I just want to agree with you. I don't want to embarrass anyone. I just want to agree with you. Anyone this morning saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want that joy, Pastor Barry. That joy you're talking about, I want that in my life. Amen. All right, so here's the second question. If you're here today and you have lost or you feel like you've lost or you're losing, the joy of your salvation. And you want that restored today. I want to agree with you as well. Would you raise your hand? Would you just declare in front of the Lord and, and myself here this morning that you need that back? Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Raise your hand now. Thank you. Hands going up all over the place. Thank you. Yes. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you for all of these hands. Father God, I pray over the hands that have been raised. Lord, I pray over the hands that needed to be raised, but there was doubt and fear and uncertainty. Jesus, I pray that the light of your love and the light of your salvation would so shine into every one of these lives that you would drive back darkness, that you would drive back fear. That you would drive back doubt, that you would drive back uncertainty. Lord, that your sons and daughters would know, that they know, that they know that they are yours. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are proud to call us your brothers and sisters. That the God of heaven, the creator of all things, says over you, church, I'm proud to call you my brother and my sister. So we invite you this Christmas season, Lord, to make your joy evident and complete in our lives. I pray against any lack. I pray against any fear. I pray against anything that would stand in the way of us fully living in and out the joy of the Lord. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. We're going to close with a worship song this morning.